Welcome to Storytelling with me, your host, Chrissy B. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Storytelling with me, your host, Bissy B. It is my absolute pleasure, as always, to welcome our latest guest, Noru Otutipe, from New York originally, but right now in Los Angeles, California. I will be reading a short story which is found in her multi-genre novel entitled Ideation. Noru Otutipe is a novel-writing, poetry-reciting, ocean-loving, world-discovering creator. Otutipe is an NYU graduate, New York-bred Nigerian-created, full of life-exhilarated, ambitious, and self-motivated citizen of the world. Oyo. I was trying to make noise because nobody ever listens to me. This is what Oyo told his father when he was reprimanded for beating his drum too loud. After scolding his son, the father walked away, turning his back on his child's request to listen to his drumming. The compound was buzzing with excitement. Oye's elder sister was preparing to marry Irikifi, the greatest warrior in all the land. Oye could smell the meats roasting and the plantains grilling as the entire compound prepared for the ceremony. He was so excited that his sister said he could play the drum at her wedding. This will be the first time that everybody will see me as a man and not as a boy, Oye thought. At 16, Oye was small for his age and shy, but when it came time to play the drum, all his might surpassed that of any man on the compound. When he played, he sounded like thunder, even louder and more powerful than thunder. The drummer practiced for weeks before the wedding. In the evening, he would run off into the forest to drum. All the birds and snakes and snails would dance to his tune. He liked how he made the whole forest dance. He could make anyone dance, except for his father. The boy's father regarded his son as too weak to play the drum and too small to hunt and too inadequate to do just about anything that his father and his brothers did. And since Oyo was the fourth child of his father's third wife, he was able to easily ignore his son's attempts to display his manhood. On the evening before the wedding, Oyo decided to retreat into the forest to practice one last time. He perched himself against the grand tree. He began to tap his drum. He started at a low, slow pace. The snails and insects quietly made their way towards him. As the drumming grew louder, the birds flocked to the musician perched on the branches of the tree and sang along to the drummer's beat. Soon, the snakes slithered over to join the festivities. It wasn't long before the entire forest was mesmerized by Oyo's playing. It was dusk and the sun began to set. The last glimmer of sunlight shined above Oye as he drummed loud and proud. Oye closed his eyes and played. Entranced by his own music, he lost track of time and he forgot that he was in the forest until all of a sudden he felt water dripping upon his head. Then he felt the warmth of a bright light against his face. He opened his eyes and was almost blinded by the sight of the large figure in front of him. In the midst of all the light and the rain stood the silhouette of a gigantic man draped in a gold robe with gold strings woven into his hair. Are you God? 
Oye tried to say the words, but he could not move his mouth. As the deity moved closer, the boy could feel his body getting warmer, and his hands began to shake. He wanted to run, but he could not move his feet. Oye was frozen, drum in hand, feet firmly planted upon the roots of a grand tree. Oyo stood silent, directly in front of the god. Suddenly, he felt something gliding along his bare feet. He looked down and saw a snake slithering around him. The snake's face looked up towards him, as if it were trying to tell him something. At that moment, the musician did what he knew how to do best. He began to drum. Oyo began to pound his drum with all his might. He pounded so hard that his drumstick broke. So he pounded the drum with his hands. The boy began to sweat and to pant, and his entire body shook like an erupting volcano. The forest stopped to listen to him. The trees stopped swaying. The snakes stopped slithering. The birds stopped chirping, and the insects stopped crawling. Oye, the drummer, made time stand still as the earth stopped moving. After what seemed like an eternity, the boy's tiny body collapsed against the roots of the tree. Suddenly, Oye heard a voice like that of a young girl. You have fast energy like me, a gentle voice whispered. Go, pound your drum for me. Then the girl's voice disappeared. The god reached out his hand. Oye looked at the god, then looked back towards the direction of his father's compound and his sister's wedding. Then he looked at the god again. He strapped his drum against his chest. Then he eagerly reached out both hands towards the god. The drummer and the god floated away above the tallest trees, away above the clouds, away above everyone and everything. Oye was never to be seen again. Welcome, Nuri. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And I hear that you're in New York City. How's that like right now? It's great. It's, it's great to be back in New York for some time. Are you originally from New York? Uh, yeah. Okay, and what made you move out to California? I just wanted a lifestyle change. I had, uh, I went to college in New York, and um, you know I stayed there for a while afterwards. And after a while, I just really wanted to experience another part of the country. And what did you study in college? I went to NYU, and I studied communication studies. As a writer, tell me, do you have anyone that actually that influences you? in your writing what really spurred you to write you know uh that's a good question because i think i might have had a, a different path than other writers i've listened to some writer interviews and they say things like i've been writing since i was a child and i always knew i wanted to be a writer but for me it's something that i discovered uh somewhat recently maybe about six seven, six years ago or so i know while i was um in college and after college, I would be on the train, always scribbling on moleskin notebooks. But I never thought of myself as a writer. I just like to scribble little stories or free thought here and there. Um, but it wasn't really until I moved to L.A. that I started taking it seriously and started to think of myself as a writer and think of writing as a profession I would pursue. So as far as my influences, uh, it's hard to answer because I I, I don't remember... Um, <laughs> You know, thinking as a child, I want to write like this person. Or even as an adult, I never thought of that. I just knew, knew always knew that I liked to read a lot, and writing gave me some sense of calm. Uh, I can say that I did read a lot as a child. I loved Judy Bloom, 
and Roald Dahl and um, Dr. Seuss. And even, you know, as a teenager, I was still reading uh, children's books and what have you. So that may have had an influence on my poetry, <laughs> Dr. Seuss and Shel Silverstein. Um, and as far as um, as an adult, when I came to my own as a writer, which I'm probably still coming to, um, I, I had a lot of influences. Um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, okay. Zora Neale Hurston. Um, oh, love her. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I... Quite a few, but I I really can't pinpoint like a specific writer that uh, kind of made me make this decision. And you said that um, you wanted to you you didn't feel like it was right to call your, a, yourself a writer. When do you feel it's actually right to call yourself a writer? That's a great question because sometimes when I tell people I'm a writer, the first thing they ask is, "Are you published?" Right. <laughs> and I'm not yet, but I write every single day for two hours a day. And I have been doing so for probably the past five or six years. Wow. So I certainly think that qualifies me as a writer. I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I would encourage other writers not to dwell on the commercial aspect of it. And if you're committed to the craft and you, you practice it on a regular basis, I feel as though you call yourself a writer. I've taken a plethora of writing classes and read all kinds of books about how to write. I feel I was very much self-taught. Um, <laughs> so when can you call yourself a writer? In my opinion, when you're dedicated to the craft and you take the time, whether it's through professional studies or your own independent learning, when you take the time to really sit down and want to learn it and you're not doing it as a hobby, you're really committing to it. I feel as though you could call yourself a writer. Thank you. I, I suffered through that myself. I would tentatively say, I'm a writer. And then people would be like, have you had anything published? And I'm like, oh, but I've been writing since I was a child. I'm one of those. I've been writing since I was a child. And I've always written any part of my life and then trying to build on my craft and, and get a, a better writer. I'm still learning, you know, even after graduating, I'm still constantly learning to become a better writer. But at the top of it all, I am still a writer. So good for you for realizing that. Indeed. So you've been, um, have you, as a writer, what struggles, if any, do you face with, say, character development or your poetry? Uh, with this particular piece that I just finished, um, my novel, as far as struggles that I faced, it wasn't necessarily creating the story only because it was a challenge, but I didn't view it as a struggle. Every day that I sat down to write, I was just so happy that I had the freedom in my life to carve out the time to do so. And even though at times it was, um, it was kind of frustrating uh, being able to express certain things, there was an awareness in me that I was just so happy that I had this freedom of time to commit to creating a story. I think the struggles I faced as a writer thus far has been more so in terms of life struggles. I have found it particularly hard to balance having to have a living and balance that with my artistry. Um, I come from a performance background, so I, I always struggled with, you know, having time to go to rehearsals at the theater and then you run to a temp job or you run to wait tables. And then as a writer, I, I and when I moved to Los Angeles, I had much more stable jobs, but still I've, I've found it incredibly hard to switch gears from 
working in an office or in, in a corporate or more conservative environment and then you switch gears and you're really trying to be an artist or creator. So I, I think those are my primary struggles, more so than actually creating the story. Um, most writers, I think, struggle to sit down for five minutes. Do you ever get distracted when you're writing? When I first started, um, when I first made that commitment to write for two hours every day, I did get distracted. Um, now that I've been doing it for some time, not really. I find that the time goes by really quickly. And before I know it, it's two hours, which on the weekends can easily turn into three or four. Let's talk about the piece that um, that um, everyone's just heard. Larger novel. But the particular piece that I shared is a short story called Oyo, which is the name of the main character. Okay. So what motivated you to write this piece here and this character? Well, I wanted um, to kind of have the main character of my novel travel back in time because the uh, overall the novel is about a family dealing with a legacy of suicidal ideation. And uh, we start the novel with the, the main character. It's kind of told from the point of view of Miney, who's an investigative journalist. So we start from her mother, who's a teenager, who's having these suicidal ideations, and then we trace back to um, the to uh, Miney's grandmother, and eventually we work our way to Miney. And um, in this particular point in the novel, it's about three quarters of the way through. Miney feels lost and alone, and she travels to West Africa to um, to reunite, to reconnect with her biological father, who was somewhat estranged throughout her childhood. And as she's reconnecting with her biological father, she for the first time opens up to him as an adult that I've been having these suicidal ideations and my grandmother who raised me had them too. And my grandmother even said my mother had them too. And, you know, dad, maybe you don't understand them because you grew up in another environment and you're a man and you have, you're so different from me, even though you're my father, maybe you just don't get what me and my mother and my grandmother went through. And her grandfather, her, her father rather, responds by saying, you understand more than I can ever know. And then he kind of goes back in time and he tells kind of these Nigerian folkloric st stories that are both very much folklore and, and fantasy in which he discusses um, various characters that he says were like family or people that the family told him of. And they too grappled with whether or not they belonged here in society. So he, he shares these stories with her daughter to say, I can relate to everything you've been through. So the story that this short story piece is, is more of a folklore? It is, it has a folkloric element. Um, and I, I think the great thing about um, African folklore, and you'll find this too with uh, folklore from many other cultures, is that when you're hearing it as a kid, you believe it so much. Yes. And in, in a lot of West African uh, storytelling, there's a fantasy element that, as an adult, you, you don't suspend that disbelief, kind of, as far as, like, the existence of this magical world. So it has a folkloric element, but, you know, it kind of leaves you like, but could that sort of kind of happen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Someone yeah. kind of been taken away in a rapture? You know, we hear it happen in the Bible. Like, 
why couldn't that have happened to a small boy growing up in this traditional West African society? Why couldn't he have been kind of like swept away in a rapture of sorts? I love that. When I read it, it gave me a lot of food for thought. I kept thinking, what is the representation of the God figure? What were you going for there? I, I wanted to play around with a lot of things. Um, some people believe that, um, and I don't hold this belief, that Satan was the, the angel of, the, um, of music. Hence music today. Some people who are very conservative Christians believe music is so corrupt. So we have this small boy that plays the drum, you know, the, the one and only thing that he felt he was good at being taken away um, by this deity. And um, this drum playing was very much his gift, but it also separated him from his family. So I wanted to play around with like, was this good or bad? Mm. Was, was this the devil or was it a God? You know, I wanted everybody to question that. Uh, I, I, just because I'm the author, don't claim to have the answer in a lot of this novel. This novel is very much an exploratory journey for me, as much as I hope it will be for the reader to question that. Um, was following his passion a good thing? And was leaving his family a bad thing? I don't know. So that, that was why I chose to use this deity or devil, whatever way you want to look at it, come to the boy and basically take him away. Well, I love that because that's exactly what my next question was about. It's because I was like, "Does what does the God figure mean to Oye? I mean, what does this mean? And you, you've, you know, you've achieved your goal if that was, you know, to get people to question because mm -hmm. that was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, and going back to Oye and then in this story, why does he turn his back on his father and family and he's willing to go into the forest? I mean, I know he went to practice, but he went willingly with this deity. Right. Well, he had been going into the forest to practice many times before, which is what the story mentioned. This was always his retreat. This was always the one place where he felt safe and he felt big and strong since his father kind of shunned him. So um, this is something he had been doing for some time. Okay. Your writing is very soothing. Is Thank this... you. You're welcome. What I really loved about it is that when you're writing this piece, are you very deliberate in making it soothing? Is that your... When I wrote the first draft, I just wanted to get the words on paper. And then when I was up to like the 13th draft, um, that's when I did kind of want to tailor it. So um, I was really interested in the user experience. I was. I wanted my audience to read a novel and enjoy the experience of reading it. I didn't want them to have to struggle through the pages. I wanted it to be an easy read. I very much wanted it to be a pleasurable experience for them. So I'm glad that came through, which is what I think yes. you're saying when you said it's very soothing. It is very soothing. Your, and your imagery is extremely vivid. Like you have this passage that says in the evening he would run off into the forest to drum or the birds and snakes and snails would dance to his tune. That imagery was fabulous. I actually read that several times because I just could see all these animals coming together almost like, um, oh gosh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs when she's whistling and all the birds came down and all the animals stopped still. That's the imagery that came to mind when you, when, when I read that piece, was that 
something you were aiming for? Were you hoping for? Oh, yeah. I really wanted people to envision that. I really, truly wanted people to see this small boy who just was regarded by his father as pretty much a coward, you know, just just didn't have this level of masculinity that his father and brothers exuded. But when this kid gets into the forest, he really was the man. Mm. He just commanded such a presence and just lorded over everything. And I, I really wanted to create that image and just really empower a child, you know, who's who's uh, reading it, who very often feels so small in the world, but may have their own little retreat where they really feel like they have control of things. I was thinking also that this would make a really good short animation. What do you think? Ah, I would love that. I'm totally yeah. open to that. I could see this because it was um, so short. I really could see it as a short animation. Now, I'm also interested to figure out why he actually went with this deity. In my mind, I thought of how we try so often as children and and as adults to please our parents. And when we don't get their approval, it's it's so hurtful and, and damaging that it felt to me like this boy was saying, well, if my family, my father doesn't appreciate my plane, this deity does, and I'm going to go with this deity. In that, do, do you agree that it's like almost as if if your parent doesn't love you, there's always God? I do believe in a child's mind, um, if they don't have the support that he felt he needed from his father, um, they may have an imagination to find a support system elsewhere. And it just so happened that Oyo found support when he was playing the drum because he was able to command attention and, and that's where he felt powerful. I don't think as a child he necessarily thought of finding support from this deity, from this this God that came to him. I think that was the first time that he realized like, wow, there is something bigger than me, which is why when he first saw it, he he was literally, he couldn't move. Um, But he just knew when he was in that forest and playing that drum that he felt loved and supported. And that was really all he needed. What would you tell your younger self if you could go back in time, especially in this writing phase of your life? (laughs) That's a great question. What would I tell my younger self? I would tell my younger self to start writing her thoughts. I love that. (laughs) Because I had a very vivid imagination, even as a child, and I wasn't aware of the medium of storytelling that I could start writing down my thoughts. So I... That's the first thing I would tell my younger self. And uh, I would probably tell myself that I, my younger self that I am very much loved. Okay. Because I think uh, that's one of the main things that um, children need to hear. I agree. If you had heard it, would it have changed anything in your life? I think so. Um, I, I think so. I, I think um, having that platform, that medium to write down my thoughts at a very young age, probably would have built my confidence a great deal because I think it's important for children to know um, early on that there is something that they are very good at and that's um, how it comes back to Oyo even though um, mm-hmm. his father essentially put him down for being so small in size and not being a great warrior a great fighter no matter what he knew he was a great drummer 
And that's really what kept him alive. And, you know, he was told he was loved by his sister. You know, his sister was the one yeah. person who said, you're going to play at my wedding. So, um, yeah, yes. I, th I think it certainly does make a difference. I'm so British. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I spent so I went to, I spent some time in Nigeria a couple of years back. Oh, great! Um, and all my um, siblings are, were born and raised there. And so when we went to the market, I watched my sister barter with the um, one of the guys over an art piece, and they went back and forth, and she got it really reduced. So I went to the next seller and tried to do the same thing. Opened my mouth, and I swear to you, the guy just looked at me and went, mm, "No." How much did I say? That's exactly what we're sticking to. And I thought, well, okay, I won't be opening my mouth again. That's funny. <laughs> Do you, I was like, wow. Do you ever get writer's block? I do not. I'm, I, oh. I do not. Again, when I first started this um, commitment to writing, I would get writer's block all the time. I would sit down in front of my laptop for two hours because that's the commitment my, I made. And at the end of the two hours, I was so overjoyed. I was like, I did it. I actually <laughs> did this whole two-hour thing, and I would have maybe a sentence. And then it would, I would commit to it, and I'd have maybe a paragraph. So right. I really had to work my way up to this. And now it truly is the point where I have to feel myself away from the laptop, and I have no problem getting the words out. And... When I am writing and I feel as though I'm stuck a bit, the reason why I don't view it as writer's block is because I simply go back to what I already wrote and I reread it and I'm editing it. So I do not mm. waste any time in front of my computer anymore. Good for you. I think that's your, um, what you've just said is an inspiration for people who want to write. A lot of people think that writing is so overwhelming and so daunting I speak to people every day. I write a lot more scripts than I used to, uh, than I do um, narrative fiction right now. And people always ask me, they always say to me, I want to write a script, but it's so daunting. And I always say to them, the first thing I would tell you to do is just do a bullet point on one sheet, one sheet of paper, a beginning, a middle, and an end to your story. This is your roadmap. And it's not written in stone. You can always go back and change it. But to not start at all and just sit there, that is not writing and that will not help you right yeah definitely you have to find your way to commit to it where can people find you i'm sorry where can people find yes me? are you out there on the web if they wanted to follow you know when your book is going to be released yes um that is a great question and i am so glad you asked <laughs> because i will be the first one to tell you that um Social media and self-promotion is not my forte. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that certainly is something I need to work on. You can find me on Instagram at Norosco. That's at N-O-R-O-S-K-O-O, -O -O, at Norosco. You will see all three of my posts. <laughs> and it is <laughs> seriously no exaggeration. And it's something that I am working on. I can say the name of the novel is Ideation. Okay. So when will look it be finished? When do you think you'll have it finished? It's finished. Oh, it is finished. The novel is finished. Okay. Yeah. The novel is finished. So what I'm doing at this moment, I'm currently uh, shopping around for a publisher. Okay. So that's the phase of the process that I'm in now. But the novel is complete and I've started the next one. 
Um, so yes, yeah, so you can follow me at, on Instagram at, at Nora Still, and I'm going to try to get better with that. Here's another question for you. What do you think about self-publishing? Why are you going the publishing route via not doing the self-publishing route? I'm just curious. I am, I am in favor of self-publishing if you know how to promote yourself. Okay. And as I have said ever so clearly, <laughs> self-promotion is just probably it's my Achilles heel. I fully understand the value of social media. I think it's wonderful. It's great. It's just not something that comes easily to me. Uh, so that's all there is. So I, I would be in favor of self-publishing if I knew how to self-promote. <laughs> so if somebody did know how to self-promote you, would that be a, something you'd be interested in? I would consider it. Okay. I certainly would um, look into all options. Absolutely. So if somebody wanted to contact you to just go to your Instagram page and maybe one day you'll actually look at it because I'm assuming you don't go there very often. <laughs> you know, I do look at it and I do follow some people on social media and I think it's great what they do. I just am not good at doing it myself. <laughs> That's all. You know, and the, the irony is um, I knew so many people um who I've workshopped my novel with, or I came through, I've came come across in passing through writers' classes or writers' groups, who uh, their novel wasn't even done, but they have a web page and a Tumblr and an Instagram and this whole marketing package. <laughs> amazing. And their novel is not even finished. And I'm always like, wow, this person is really on top of it. And here I am with a completely finished novel that I put a lot into that I think is, is really, really great quality. And I'm just like, I just need to do that part. So there is a part of me that feels like sometimes when people focus so much on that, sometimes some things fall by the wayside. Like, I don't know how I would have been able to post and keep up with all the social media and at the same time work a full-time job and complete a novel. I just... I don't know how I would have been able to do all of those things. That's, I mean, that's a fair uh, point. Feel, it's, it's not, um, it's not easy. No, I just feel like something may have been compromised. And I just felt like this novel was very important to put out into the world in a very wonderful way. And the novel wasn't something I was willing to compromise. Good for you. Uh, now that the novel is done, I'm going to look into promotion a lot more, but I just wanted to give this novel 200%. And I think I ended up giving it 400%. And the social media, I kind of gave it 0%. So they're just like a give and take. Why are you writing your book and what inspired you to write it? Why am I writing my book? Well, I'll start with the second question, if that's okay. okay. What inspired me to write it? And I took a sociology class in college. And the professor shared a statistic. I remember him in front of the classroom and he said, and black women have the lowest suicide rate in America. And, and my ears hmm. perked right up when I heard that. I don't even remember what the lesson for that day was. It was something in relation to, um, to that. But I just remember thinking, wow, that's interesting. And I never really thought about suicide before. And I never, I never even stopped to think that someone was uh, taking score of, of such a thing. But certainly <laughs> that was the case um, as documented by the um, mental health institutions and what have you. So I thought that was interesting. And ever since I heard that statistics, it would always be in the back of my mind 
probably because I am really fascinated, to be honest, with the inner workings of sex and death. I'm always, okay. I always want to know more about these things from a creative standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. Just, I'm always curious to know different perspectives. So that's what inspired me to write the novel initially. Initially, I wanted to also write a novel to help discuss suicide without the stigma that is attached to it. And as I was doing my research about suicide, that same statistic that I heard years ago would constantly pop up in the back of my mind for obvious reasons, myself being a black woman. And I would always think that may be true. Statistically, we have the lowest suicide rate. But what if we express suicide in a different way? Hmm, Interesting. So that is something that I really wanted to explore through the novel. And just out of curiosity, did you find out through your research if we do handle suicide differently in a different manner? One of the things that I said is perhaps um, maybe a, a history of behaviors, repetitive behaviors that don't serve us, us as in black women, very well. I wanted to know, is, is this a form of suicide in, in some of these self-destructive behaviors that are handed down from generation mm. to generation. Right. I don't claim to have the answer. I think that's something that um, would require more in-depth investigation um, from people who are more qualified than me in that arena, psychologists, sociologists, behavioral therapists, what have you. Um, I'm very much an artist. So when I look at it from my creative standpoint, I recognize that I'm probably not equipped to answer the question but I am equipped to explore it. And in my exploration of that notion, I thought maybe, yeah, maybe it is a form of suicide. These behaviors that are, that are somewhat long-term methods of self-destruction. Just to clarify, when you say list of destructive behaviors, what type of behaviors are you referring to? Well, um, I'm glad you asked that because I mentioned one, the main character in the novel named Miney, and the novel starts with her mother who becomes pregnant with Miney when she's a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then Miney is reared with so many privileges and, and so much. Um, she has the greatest education and what have you, but she still feels the same suicidal ideations as her mother. And one of the things Miney says in her chapter, I actually have it right here, is there are two options. She's, re- she's talking about her contemplative, contemplating suicide. Miney says there are two options. One, do it now and get it over with. Or two, do it slowly by wearing your body down, filling your mind with negative thoughts so there is no room for anything else. Hmm. If you are too scared to do it quick and easy, like all those old white guys, you could do it slow and painfully like all those old black women. Hmm. Drag it out for 70 years and disguise it in martyrdom, Hmm. self-righteousness, and hard work. Let it sing out loud at Sunday service and swallow it again all week long. Puke it out on your kids every now and then. Whether you like it or not, it's still there. So you can do it swiftly or gradually. Either way, you're dead or dying. Now, is it better to be dead or dying? Wow. Wow. That was powerful. Um, That was really powerful. Really powerful. You've just seriously given me some 
serious food for thought. Ah, it's my pleasure to share this. And I'm glad that um, what I've shared so far with different people has really seemed to resonate. And um, I hope that answers your question when you say in it what did. way. <laughs> so as yes. you can see, the, the novel, the passage I, I shared ends with a question. And that just goes to show that me as a writer communicated through these characters. And I do not claim to have the answer. Hence, I, I ended this with a question. But just like you said, it gives you food for thought. I would like my audience to really think about these things in a different way. Well, you certainly have posed the question to allow us to do just that. Tell us where uh, the world stage is, please. Certainly. The world stage, it's a really wonderful community-based, not-for-profit space in Lemurk Park in Los Angeles, California. And it's really great because every night of the week they have something new for you. I go there on Wednesday nights because they have this really wonderful Anansi Writers Workshop hosted by the wonderful and glorious V. Kali. And the first, it starts at around 7.30. And the first hour, um, any writer can go and workshop material. And there's an audience there that with all the love and concern in the world, they will give you critique um, or suggestions for your material. And then the second um, half hour, V. Kali always lines up a guest performer, whether it's a poet or someone there to just teach us a new theory or whatever they're working on academically. And then the final hour is an open mic when you can get up and share your latest finished work. Again, that's the world stage and that's in Lamert Park, Los Angeles, California. Wonderful. Thank you for that plug, because um, I was so excited. And I will see you there on, on one of these Wednesdays coming up. I look forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this episode of Storytelling with me, your host, Bissy B. I hope you enjoyed listening to Nuru. She is very exciting. I'm, I cannot wait for her book to come out and perhaps have her on the show again. I would like to encourage you, if you're in the Los Angeles area and you are a writer and you're looking for a workshop, the workshop at World's End in Lemire Park is an excellent place to start off with, begin with, end with, whatever stage you're in. Um, as Nuru explained, kicks off every Wednesday at 7.30. And it is a place to get your work heard and get some feedback from some very talented writers. Until next time, be good to one another and stay blessed.